given amongst men whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus. I'm so grateful that I've found that name, aren't you? That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Please take your seats. People have been asking me, Pastor Mark, you've been preaching on the same theme for a few weeks. Why are you doing that? Because, number one, I don't want the annual giving message to be the thing that the pastor has to tick in a box to say, well, we just got rid of that uh, and ticked everybody's conscience in that. Number two, culturally, there's a, there's a sense in which uh, do, you, do you feel the liberation when you're not number one in your life and that Jesus is number one? Can anybody witness to that with me, that when, you, when, you're not, when you're not selfish, when you feel like, you know, I'm not living for the, all the affirmation that George talked about, that, that actually I'm free. Is anybody with me on that? that? And what I'm trying to do is preach into a culture more than just to get a few results. I was in my office working on this message, and uh, you know, when a pastor's working on his message, he kind of goes to heaven and back and thinks, oh, I could say this, I could make this point, I could bless the people in this way. And there was a knock on my door, and it was our uh, bookkeeper. Now, at this point, I'm kind of swimming with the angels, thinking, oh, you know, I really want to get this uh, message done. And our bookkeeper, Emmy, walks in and says, Pastor Mark, we really need to go through all your receipts. And I'm so glad for that accountability, but we went through all the receipts. But you know, as we went through them, it kind of really blessed me because we got receipts for the family we took out to eat whose house had flooded. And by the church, bless them. And then I looked at another receipt at the receipt at some of the kitchen things that we bought for the person who needed a, uh, that uh, a kitchen appliance. And then we looked at another receipt, and there was. And there was uh, things, meals for people who had been upset and people who'd been in grief. And then other receipts that we'd uh, been to a place to uh, study to help people in addictions. And every receipt was about what we are giving away as a church. In fact, as a church, we've given away our chairs to Teen Challenge, uh, to a church in Handsworth, to a church across the town in Wheelie Castle, to a community centre in Castle Vale, to an, um, a ministry that prays for Muslims, uh, to uh, another community centre, and, and we're about to do another, give a chairs away to another church over in Albury. Isn't that great that we can just bless everyone all across our city? You know, and I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you that uh, last year, we're, in all of our giving, we gave £20,000 more than what we gave in the pre previous year. That's 3.46% increase. Isn't that great? You see, I'm not preaching these messages when there is a problem. I actually want to thank you for everything that you're offering and your blessing and your giving. I'm so proud of you that I hear lots of testimonies. Uh, some people stayed all day yesterday praying for our city. And uh, I'm proud of the fact that some people come to me often and say, Pastor, I've been praying for this person at work. I've been witnessing to this person at work. Uh, on Wednesday night, there was a group I was in here, and there was people here who uh, had spoken in tongues once and uh, perhaps had let it go, and then they relived that experience. And, and that's become real again. You see, I'm really pleased with all that's going on in our church. And I want to reflect to you and bless you that actually God is working amongst us. 
He's doing things. And so when I talk about us, it's great. But God spoke to me this week and, and kind of uh, put his finger on my heart. And when he, when he said, we can talk about we are generous. But from time to time, I feel that we need to ask ourselves a question that's personal. And I want to ask me that question, Mark Ryan, am I generous? Do I have a generous spirit? We need to analyze this because it gets to the heart of God. I know that this scripture that I'm about to mention is talking about wisdom specifically, but it reveals the heart of God. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I don't know about you, when I give something away, sometimes I have this question, please don't judge me. Uh, I have this question, do they deserve it? Does that happen to you? I'm not going to look over this side. Does that happen to you? You know, do they deserve it? And I go through a list of reasons why somebody should receive something from me. And I, I apologize. God gives without finding fault. Well, you know, he looks down at Mark Ryan and says, Mark, I'm going to give you that gift. I'm going to give you that gift. I know that there are lots. I know everything about you, but I'm still going to do it. Isn't it great that we serve a God like that? That he's so generous and he's not judgmental and, he's, and he loves us so much. I want to talk to you today about whether I am generous, whether, and I want you to ask that question about yourself. I've, I've put a handout on your chairs if you want to uh, take that home with you and read the scriptures again or make notes on it. That's, that's for you there. But today, I'm going to talk about an outrageous act of generosity and talk a little bit into this subject and the reason why I'm doing this. And, you know, we may have one or two more weeks just, and then we'll... We'll move on to something else. But I want to share God's heart with you. Because our uh, mission statement is transform lives, transforming lives. That, our, that we change to be like Jesus. And one of the ways we can do that is get into this sense of, well, God, what's your heart like? And God's heart is a generous heart. He's going to speak to you. Would you turn with me to John chapter 12 and we'll look at verses 1 through 8. A, a really unusual story, but a beautiful story in many ways. John chapter 12. Let's read these eight verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Let me put a, a, a little parenthesis in there. Where Lazarus lived again. Whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served with Lazarus, and Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And the fragrance of devotion poured out. And the praises. Uh, this house has been filled with a praise today and a fragrance, hasn't it? But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, he objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? What a reasonable thing to say. What a, what a correct 
thing to say. What a thing to say that's about social justice. It was worth a year's wages. Now he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and the keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. Notice who says, leave her alone. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for my day of burial. You will always have the poor amongst you, but you will not always have me. And in those days, the custom was to anoint somebody and... and, uh, wash them in, in spices and oils. They didn't get a chance with Jesus because he checked out. Why did she want to give such a generous gift to the Lord? And, and actually, why did it bother Judas so much? There are two hearts revealed here, aren't there, in this passage. One that's free and worshipping and generous, and one that's a selfish heart. One that's a nitpicky, let's play by the rules completely, let's just do something that sounds good heart, or a selfish heart. You see, the, good, the subject of giving and generosity does reveal the heart, it reveals the predisposition of our hearts, it reveals what we're really like. It, it's, if you think of it this way, that gee, God generous, S, Satan, selfish. I'm going to talk to you about three things today. First of all, I'm going to talk to you about the enemy of generosity. Then I'm going to talk about the extravagance of generosity. And then we'll talk about the reward of generosity, just, just for a few minutes. You see, the enemy of generosity is not a person, but it's an attitude. It, it's not circumstance and It's not a sense of, oh, well, I can't do that because of this. It's actually an attitude and a predisposition that we all battle with. It's an age-old battle between G, generous God, and S, selfish Satan. Selfishness promotes and protects and provides for itself. Well, actually, that's God's job. This is what God does, and selfishness takes the place of, of God. You know, I don't know about you, but I've battled with this all my life. This, I don't know whether they deserve that. I don't know whether I should do that. I I get fearful and think, well, if I give that away, then what's going to be for me? Who's going to look after me? I've battled with that all of my life. As you know, I was brought up by a single parent, and I I didn't have a a brilliant upbringing, you know. And, you know, I I just feel like I battled with it all my life. But I'm learning something in God. I don't know about you, when you've got your children, have you... Uh, you know, the first word that children learn, isn't it, is, is no, probably no. We think it's daddy, men, we do, but it's probably not, it's no. But have you ever been in a room, you know, you're watching the football match or you're watching the bake-off or something like that, and, uh, or the sewing bee, and uh, just a little window into the inside of the tussles of television in our house. Will it be football? Will it be the sewing bee? The sewing bee often wins, and anyway, let's move on from that hurt and pain I need healing from. And you're sitting there watching the TV program of your wife's choice. And, uh, <laughs> and you, you know, you, you hear from the other room, and it's usually the younger child, our Leah, who was younger to the older child, and they say something like this, mine, mine, 
mine, mine, mine. And it reminds you of that Nemo film, doesn't it? Mine, 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 mine. And after about the fifth mine, you see, you ignore it at first and think, oh, they'll sort themselves out. After the fifth mine, you have to get up. And there's actually a nerve in the back of any parent that starts getting irritated because you're not really interested in the justice of whose it is. You just want quiet. <laughs> you know, after a while, you go to the young... I mean, I walk into Leah and say... Get, what? she'll be going, mine, mine, mine. I'll say, just give it to her. And, uh, and Lydia would say, but dad, it's mine. I said, I don't care whether it's yours. She's got stuff of mine anyway. So let's just let her have it. Because all parents want quiet after a while. We're not really into justice. But it's true, isn't it, that in all of our lives, from our kind of upbringing, that we all want to be generous. But we, because we have this predisposition in us that we all have to intentionally battle for it. And God wants us to grow as his children past the childish mind. He does. He wants us to grow past that. And it's really interesting to me that he talks about some very important things that are his. And God says, they will be mine, says the Lord. And he talks that about people. He talks that about his priesthood. And he says, they belong to me. That's mine. And when you understand that the preciousness of being owned by God, that actually you weren't meant to drift on your own and be your own ruler, that when you can actually submit to a creator and be his, then you become everything that you were planned to be and you're more free than when you were just mine, 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 I'm my boss, I'm my king, I'm my ruler, I sit on my throne. All of that does not work for humans. That's why we drift from relationship to relationship because we're seeking someone to connect with us. And that's why with your money that God says, the tithe is mine. He said, just release yourself from all of your wealth and everything uh, being about you and about your support and your survival. If you'll just say, the tithe is, is his, is the Lord's, and God says, the tithe is mine, it releases you and blesses you. Now, Judas is saying something in this story that sounds really pious. But the Bible points out that Jesus, Judas doesn't actually care about the poor. And I think that I certainly make similar statements when, when we look at the extravagance of others. We, we look over at others, what others are doing, and because we're a bit selfish and we don't want to give and what they are doing, we don't want to do it, we point out and say, well, it could have been done another way. I've done that. We've all done that. But here, Judas does it because he doesn't want to believe that this is the right thing. And we'll come on to why this was a moment in his life. We point to them over there to cover up our sense of us not taking responsibility now. We don't have to copy anybody in our giving. But what we do have to do is confront the own selfishness in our heart. Judas had the money box and he was a thief. Have you ever thought about this? What a great leader Jesus is. That, do you think that Jesus knew that he was a thief? Or he had no clue that he was a thief? And, and who was it who gave Judas the money box anyway? It was Jesus' leadership where he gave him the money box to look after you. Did you know that God gives you the opportunity to grow in your weakness? He does it 
to grow us, not to fail us, not to trick us, not to uh, trip us up. James chapter 1 verse 13 says this, When we're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and nor does he tempt anyone. But God doesn't just tempt you in order to say and expose you. But what God does is he often exposes you to your weaknesses because he's trying to get you to overcome. In fact, verse 3 of James says, we'll, we'll all be tested and faith produces perseverance. We're all going to be tested in our areas of weakness. But if you've got a Bible with you, you'll know the scripture with me that 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says this, no temptation. Whatever it is, there's no temptation that except that is overtaking you. And every temptation is common to everyone. But God is faithful and you, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond which you are able. But with temptation, he will always make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now look at this. I think this is Judas's moment. This is the moment that Judas, having been tempted with money, this was his way of escape. To agree, to say, actually, we need to be generous. Actually, we need to understand that there are some things worth giving to. And actually confronting that challenge in his own life. God will always give you some moments so that you can overcome those things that are your temptations. But always he provides a way of escape. But he didn't take it. In fact, the Bible says that just after this incident, he goes to the priest to betray Jesus. And again, there's a money exchange. 30 pieces of silver. We'll all have a moment. And God will always provide a door and and strength to escape. It's amazing to me the parallel between Judas being a thief, taking money that didn't belong to him, and God saying that some people rob him. I don't think there's a person in this place. You know, we're joking with Victor just as he's giving the offering around. Sorry, Natalie, we did, we did get to worship after the first line. We did, but we're saying to, I was saying to Victor, tell these ministers to give double. So we went along the road, double, double, double. We, we do that amongst our team, you know. I don't think there's a person in this place who would do a crafty move and nick a bit of money out of the offering and put it in your pocket. I don't think there's anybody here who would do that. And for the person that's just said in their heart, I might or I would, I want you to know that God loves you and he wants to look after you. And if you really need money that hard, come and see me afterwards and we'll make sure you're all right. I don't think there's a person in the place that would do that. But you know what? When God says we don't give us our tithes, we're not robbing God by taking money out the offering. We're robbing God by not putting something in. Some of us need to understand that if we can trust God in this, it will release us to his blessings. 
You see, money is a bigger test than many of us think in the kingdom. God's not testing our hearts to see if we can handle more money. He's, he's, he's testing our hearts to see if we can handle true riches, real people, their hopes, their dreams, their lives, their decisions. He wants to send us hundreds and hundreds of people where we can pastor them and love them and shepherd them. If we can't handle and you can't handle something as simple as money, then what's God going to, what true riches is he really going to send you? The enemy of extravagance is that selfishness that we all have to battle. I battle with it. We all battle with it. But let me talk to you about the extravagance of generosity. Look at this. Look at this gift that she gives and think about how much you earn. This lady gives one year's wages poured out on Jesus' feet. The Bible says it's 300 denarii, which is the plural of, of a denarius. She pours one year's salary out on his feet. Let me ask you, did Jesus see that as a waste, this extravagant gift? I wonder what constitutes an extravagant gift. Because God owns everything anyway, doesn't he? I mean, do you think you could impress God with a, with a gift? Like I, I say to God, God, you can have my Nissan Duke. And he's going to Duke? I've got a wheel within a wheel. I've got cherubim and seraphim. They fly. We've got a wheel within a wheel that moves in four directions almost at once. I've got angels upon angels. And you want to give me your Nissan Duke? When, when I want to be somewhere, Mark, I, I just think it and I'm there. In fact, I'm everywhere. You're going to give me your Duke? I say, okay, God, I, I'm going to give you a gold bar. I've got my gold in my pocket. I'm going to give you a gold bar. Oh, really? You want to give me some pavement that I have up here? Have you ever heard that story about the guy who sneaked into heaven and he snook his gold in in a suitcase and the angels opened it and said, why did you bring tarmac in here? You know, when you think about heaven, it's 1,380 miles long in one, this, you know, one description of, of the city of God. And every wall is made of like beryl and onyx and jasper and, and, and it's got the most precious gold in it. And, and we say, Lord, have a fiver. And he's going, Lord, you know, he's got all of this. And the pillars are made of, what is it, jasper and, and the pearly gates. The pearly gates could be 1,380 miles high. Because it's a perfect square. You think, God, is there anything I can give you that would impress you? You own it all anyway. And the answer is yes. Yes, there is. The owner of the universe is impressed. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5 it says... They first gave themselves to the Lord. He's not impressed by any other giving, but when your heart un unloads itself and when your heart opens itself and says, I see somebody over there thirsty and, and you've moved my heart, let me go give them a cup of water. God is impressed when you give him your heart. 
God's impressed when your attitude melts and you say, Lord, I'm giving you my first. See, the most extravagant gift that you can give to God is yourself. Let me show you a a verse in Zephaniah 3 verse 17. It says this, the Lord your God is with you. He's a mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, in his love. He will no longer rebuke you. And then listen to this, you say the last phrase, but you have often said this phrase, and I want to teach you something about it, but he will rejoice over you with singing. Have you heard that? You know, the Bible says that that word rejoice, when you look into it, it means that he jumps for joy and he does a twirl. Isn't that amazing? That God is prepared to look like dad dancing at a wedding for you. That he jumps for joy and twirls around. All of me wants to give you a demonstration right now. But I can feel Kathy's eyes burning at me saying, don't do it, Ma. Don't do it. You're going to fall over. You don't look God. You can just about manage the pastor shuffle. You jumped up and down earlier and got breathless. But God rejoices over you. And the word rejoice means I jump and do a twirl at the same time. Because... When your heart melts to him, that's all he wants. He's got everything else. He wants just your heart. In a couple of weeks' time, uh, I wrote a little book a few years ago. It's my bestseller because I give it away free. (laughs) It's called Joined Up Giving. I'm going to give you one in the next couple of weeks. And in that book, I describe three levels of giving. And... uh, there are three levels. The first is the tithe, and the, the, that's the Lord's, and you give that to him, and, and God blesses you and, and, and looks after you in that. And the second level is that you give love offerings. You see a need that moves your heart, and you, you, and you give to the poor. Love offerings and alms giving to the poor. And the third level is extravagant giving, that God speaks to you about something, and that you just give it without any expectation of return. Now, you must never copy anybody in their giving you must never be under pressure to do anything extravagant that you haven't felt is a God word to you you must never feel that anybody on a platform or any pastor or anybody pressurizes you to give beyond that which God has spoken into your heart your tithe is something that's clear so in these three levels of giving one thing that I've learned over the years that people often think, oh, I'd love to do that, but they never get there. And some of us think, well, how would I ever do that? I have learned something, that people who don't do level one very rarely experience, in fact, never experience the joy of really knowing the extravagant giving that God wants them to enjoy. In fact, this is a statistic from the United States, and it's truer here than over there, that only 5 to 7% of Christians ever reach level 1 consistently of tithing. But if you will do that, then God will lead you to some tremendous experiences of blessing people, and he will provide for you. Some of us just like to designate every bit of money we had, but basically what you're saying is control, control, control. We just need to give and release. You see, I've done some things that I know is because I've learned level one really well. 
There are many examples of extravagant giving in the scriptures. You know, it's estimated that King David gave $21 billion to the temple in equivalent today. It's an amazing thing that Solomon offered a thousand sacrifices on the day. But the one that blesses me the most is, do you remember the widow who's walking amongst the crowd and, and they are giving and she gives in two mites, two little coins that anybody would have just missed and Jesus points her out and says, that was extravagant because she gave all she had. You see, God isn't impressed with amounts. His goal is to reach your heart. Abraham offered his son, but God gave us his son. You see, God's an extravagant God. He, he loves it when we are generous. But you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I, a, a year's wages? How could I ever give that? What, what would God ever do that? How, how would that ever happen? Start at level one and he'll lead you on. But how do you get there? I wonder what Mary, why did Mary do this? Let's remember the context of the story. Two months earlier, we find Mary as a woman in complete grief. In fact, she's a woman who complains at Jesus and said, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it's this incident, two months early, earlier, that changes her perspective on her savings. She's so grateful. And she pours it out to the Lord. You know, God forbid this won't happen, Kathy. But say Kathy passed away, you know, and... And, like, and then she was raised back from the dead. Do you think I'd be really bothered about money at that moment? I'd just be so grateful that she was back with me. Wouldn't you? But hey, doesn't the Bible say something about all of us? That Ivan, you and I, we were once dead in transgressions and sins, and now we've been raised to life in God? We've all experienced a resurrection. When did we become so ungrateful for the things that the Lord has done for us? Generosity begins in a grateful heart, in a thankful heart, in a heart that says, I am so pleased that you've done so much for me. Extravagant generosity comes when we begin our gratefulness journey. I'm going to close in a few moments, but just let me mention to you that there's a reward for generosity in our lives. Culturally, when we look at the programs like The Apprentice and other things, and, and culturally, don't you, do, do you not get a bit tired of the, of the selfish world that we live in, where we're all kind of out for ourselves? You see, the real definition of extravagant generosity is you give without expecting anything back. Have you ever, you know, what do we call it? We, we call it as a kind of those givers who have a, an agenda. Turn over to Mark chapter 14 with me because there's a reward for being generous. It's the same um, incident, only Mark's record. She had done what all she could and she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial, Jesus says. Assuredly, I say to you, 
Whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world and what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Can you believe that this one act, we're still talking about it 2,016 years later? I wonder if there's something that we could do in our lifetime that in 2,000 years they'll still be talking about it. This was the only anointing for burial that he, used, that he received because they didn't have time in the Sabbath because he rose. She came with an extravagant gift thinking there was no reward, wasn't expecting anything back, but she was rewarded. It will be a memorial to her whenever the gospel's preached in the whole world, and that's happening now. A definition of generosity is that we give without any expectation. But God always rewards generosity. Did you know that? When you give with the right heart, God, let me use, can I use bad English? Is there any English teachers in the house? Can, can I use a double negative? I know you're not supposed to do it. God cannot not reward you. Is that all right? Uh, please, if any of you want to pick me up on my language afterwards, just catch my heart. Ephesians 11 verse 6 says this, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he, comes to, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now I actually... Uh, I've done some research into this word, and it's a word called uh, misapotetes. And it's a five-syllable Greek word, and one of the words, and I've actually done this for myself, is when you dig down into it, most of the parts of this word, rewarder, and it's the only time it's used in Scripture, by the way, it's used to say to pay what is due, but there's a part of it that means to extravagantly return. God rewards you with himself, with his presence. He said to Abraham, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and I am your very great reward. God wants to give you himself, his presence. It's like giving a reward to someone. Say you dropped your wallet and, and you had 50 pounds in your wallet and, and somebody brought your wallet back to you and you said, you know what, I'm so pleased about your honesty. I'm going to give you 500 pounds. And they say, well, there's only 50 pounds in there. No, I'm rewarding your honesty. That's what God does. He over rewards those people who are generous for him. Not in a give-to-get sense, but rewards you with many, many different blessings. God's an extravagant rewarder. Just look how he rewards us. We can't buy eternal life, but when we receive his grace, we get eternal life. Isn't that great? Like, in a thousand years' time, I'm going to be known. I'm not going to be dust in the earth or in some, you know, bones in a, in a cave somewhere. Just, just want you to get me a crypt, Kathy. there. I'm going to be walking around knowing, loving. Isn't that a great reward? That's by grace. We don't buy that at all. You see, God is an extravagant giver. And he wants to bless you. He wants to reward you 
for responding to him. And I'm going to wrap up. I just want to tell you just a, a brief little story. And Natalie, if you just come. There's a lady one time, who, a single parent, and I, I, I really like this story because I was brought up by a single parent and I know some of the struggles about it. And she was hearing about tithing and she'd earned $1,000. It's in America. And she wrote, was going to write a check for $100. And it was a struggle, and she's saying, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. By the way, checks are pieces of paper that we used to use to uh, uh, give money out from our bank accounts from. And she wrote this, was, as she was about to write this $100, she felt like the Lord said to her, give an extra 20 And she said, God, I, this is going to be a stretch what I'm doing now. You see, we don't preach magical stewardship here. We preach stewardship, and some, sometimes it will be a stretch, but God will always come through for you. And so she did it. She wrote down $120, and she got out to the car park, and she was about to get into her car. And in that church, there was a guy who was known. It was anonymous who he was, but he was known to give people now and again $100 whenever he felt led. And that day, he felt led to walk over to this lady and just as he was about to give the $100 out, he kept $100 always with him. He was known as the $100 guy. Just as about to give that $100 out, he said, the, the Lord spoke to him and said, give her an extra 20. And he said back to the Lord, he said, but I'm the $100 guy. And the Lord said, today, give her 120. And she received that 120 and she knows that God will provide for her. In my own life, my daughter Leah is a she's a beautiful thing. You would love her. I tell you, she can preach great. She she's just she's just a great gal. She's quirky. She's funny. Uh, she she can do unusual things. I don't know where she gets that from. It must be a mother. But you know, in in raising her. We, we, we did have one or two negotiations. Can I call it that? And Leah, one time, just before, it was a few weeks before she went to university. And you see, God had spoken to us when we took her to university. We knew that she was never coming back. God had spoken to both Kathy and I. We knew that when she left home, she was never coming back. Now, I don't mean that she left and we never met her again. And we have a great relationship with her. We see her often. And uh, we have a great relationship. But we just knew that God had said, once you let her go, I'm taking her into my purposes. Don't put any pressure on her to come back. And she served the city of Nottingham now for over 15 years since that time. Or at least 10, 12 and she's really invested and she just loves that where she is. And God has been using her. But a few weeks before she went, man, she used this mobile phone and she ran up such a bill. And we had to sit her down and say, you know, Leah, this is just not on. You can't do this. And we taught her some things about that. And I told her off big time. You know, I mean, big time. And I got really into her brain. Anyway, we dropped her off at university, and I, um, in fact, when we dropped her off at university, we had this word from the Lord that she was, she was gone, and so we drove around the corner and bawled our eyes out, 
you students don't know what you've done to your parents. We cried. Or at least I did. Kathy was probably more together than I was. Although we both cried. And we drove off. And when we got back to the house, and we hadn't been into her room, she left us notes and gifts and money to make up for the phone bill. With notes that said, oh, I'm so glad you're my parents and you're keeping me on the straight and narrow and you've been teaching me things. So go back to my $100 story. The man who was giving the $100 was actually the pastor of the church and he had a daughter that left the Lord. And his daughter left the Lord and went away and he was praying for her and she actually came back to the Lord. And like many of you are praying for some of your children, she came back and she said this, Dad, on my journey back, I discovered who the $100 man was. It was you. You've been telling stories to the church about the $100 man and it's you you're, as the pastor. I've noticed that when we leave from church, that often you'll just say, just hold the car and go walk across the car park and you'll spend a bit of time. And I've worked out that you've been giving that money out. I said, Dad, I want you to know something. That that testimony is one of the things that started to bring me back because I started to think, do I really want to be this selfish or do I want to be like my dad who is like Jesus? And I want to say to you as parents... Do you want to teach your children? Do you want to teach your family? Do you want to teach your partner and your friend that it's all mine, mine? Or do you want to begin to invest in their lives and in your own life as you release generosity to others? Don't think for one moment that your children are not watching you. Leah wrote in those notes, Dad, I just want to thank you for teaching me not only to be responsible, but I want to be generous just like you. Would you stand with me? Because there's a heavenly father in heaven who wants to be really generous with you right now. Because some of you have got some needs. Some of you are searching for jobs. Some of you are searching for family members. Some of you are battling with illnesses. And the generous God who cares about every one of your needs, he wants to touch you today and be with you. In fact... If you're here today and you're praying for a family member, I want you to leave the seat where you're standing and we want to pray with you. We want to bless you. We want you to get your answer today because I believe God's a generous God. So if you've got a family member on your heart for any reason, they're away from the Lord or they're not well, why don't you leave the seat where you're standing and we want to pray with you? Because we're a church that believes that God can bless you. If you're seeking for a job today and you, you've got an interview and you're, and you're trying to say, God, is this right? I want you to leave the seat where you're standing because I believe God wants to answer you and fill you. In fact, whatever need you've got, God wants to bless you today. And we've got people here who want to pray with you because God is a generous God. He loves you so much. He cares about you so much. I just still feel this. Is there somebody here that in your family, you're battling with cancer or some of your 
family are battling with cancer, would you come and stand in front of me? Because I want to pray for you today because I think God's given me a kind of prayer anointing about that. So if there's anybody, please come. If you've got an illness or anything, we want to pray with you because you know what? God loves you. And you know, today, George showed you all the masks that we wear. It's time to take them off and say, here God, here's me. Here's me. Can you bless me? Can you touch me? And we're not going to prolong this. Guys, what we're going to do for you guys who've been so kind and and brave to come out to the front, you know what, we're going to pray with every one of you. But actually, as a congregation, shall we all sing together and worship together? And this will be our closing song and our closing prayer. But please don't leave today without you knowing that God is generous to you. Thank you for coming today. I know it's a rainy day and the traffic's what it is and the roadworks are what they are. But God wants to bless you. Natalie, would you lead us in a song and a prayer as we just worship Him? Let's just all worship Him for a few moments. Oh